Amen. His name is worthy of praise. That's what we've come to do today. And I want to invite all our first or sixth graders to go praise the name of Jesus in the children's building with Pastor Susan for children's worship. So first through sixth graders, you may now join children's worship. Well, uh, Reuben, can you come back for a second? Is Reuben, can you hear me? Did he leave? Reuben, great worship today, but can I just take a moment to say happy birthday? Happy birthday. Yeah, you don't get a speech, you just get a happy birthday. <laughs> it's been a good week uh, having uh, people come back from camp and celebrating an anniversary for Calvary uh, and, uh, and just a lot of good things. And I'm glad to be back. You might have noticed I was gone for the last two Sundays, uh, but I'm glad to be back and to be among you, to worship with you to see your faces, it's, it's, it's a huge blessing. Well, this week I was, um, I read an article about a young man by the name of Eric Wattis, who uh, finishes MD and is in his residency. But, but what really caught my eye about his story is that in every stage of his educational career, he's gone back to take a picture with his parents who are farm workers. Uh, I think it was a family of 10 and, and they grew up just picking whatever fruit uh, there was in the fields. And, and so it was a hard beginning. Uh, but, but this young man, every time he finished one of his educational goals, he went back and took a picture with his parents. He was valedictorian uh, at his high school. He went on to West Point. And then uh, he got a Bachelor of Arts in Neurobiology from Harvard. And then eventually he made it to medical school. And every time he finished, he came back and took a picture with his parents at the farm. It, it, it was a way of recognizing that against a lot of odds, that against a lot of challenges, he was able to fulfill his accomplishments. It was a way of saying thank you for the work ethic and the dedication of his parents. Because, because of their example and their support, he's able to accomplish these things. His story is about being grounded and about being focused. He was shaped by hardship, but then he focused on his goals and he remembered where he came from. He remembered his roots. And those are things I think that the church needs to keep today. Those are things that the church needs to consider today. That hardship can prepare us for the future. That focus can help us stay on track with our goal. And then that remembering who we are and whose we are helps us to be strong and successful, to remember our Savior whose name we have lifted up and whose name is worthy. So today we start a new series that I've called Boot Camp. And, and the reason I called it Boot Camp is because it's, it's a series on this short letter to Titus. Uh, and it is a letter that is just uh, has a sense of urgency and intensity about it. And I think that as we as a church look through it, that sense of urgency and preparation ought to invite us and to challenge us in our time. As we move forward to the fall of 2021, 
We look back and it's been a crazy year and a half or two. But I believe that this small but power-packed letter can help to both ground us and then propelled us, propel us into whatever future God has in store for us. In the midst of uncertainty, the church needs to be grounded in our Savior and in the gospel. So I invite you to go with me to Titus chapter 1. It's a small letter in the New Testament. We could probably read it all today, but I'm not going to do that. We're just going to take it uh, in uh, steps throughout the next several Sundays. So I'll, I'll begin with chapter 1, verse 1. And it reads like this. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Here we see Paul writing a letter to Titus, his uh, son in the faith. That means he, he led him to faith. He, he discipled him. They, they did ministry together. And it is probably toward the end of Paul's ministry. Those of you that were, have been with us or were with us during the, the series in the book of Acts, you know that when we get to the end of the book of Acts, Paul is imprisoned in Rome and, and he's waiting for the trial uh, because he's appealed to Caesar. And we don't know much about what happens to Paul from Luke who writes Acts. But it is very likely that Paul was released from prison uh, in Rome and continued to do his ministry before he was imprisoned again. And so it's in this in-between prison time, most likely that Paul writes this letter to Titus. And it is uh, written in, the, in a difficult context by this time in the history of the church. And the first thing that I want us to note as we look at this introduction of these four verses is that hardship creates urgency. The year was 64 AD, over 30 years since Jesus had been crucified and rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. And when he ascended to heaven, he told his disciples that just as they saw him going to heaven, that, that he would come in the clouds. And, and the believers of the first century believed that Jesus would come back in their own lifetime. So every day and every week, they were looking to the sky to see when Jesus would return. And the months passed by and the years passed by. And here, 30 years have gone by and, and the believers are wondering what has happened. Why is Jesus taking so long? Some of our brothers and sisters in Christ are, are beginning to die and, and Jesus hasn't come back. And, and so there's this sense of perhaps anxiousness or, or anxiety in their hearts. And, and, and now the church is, is needing to shift from, from being a movement that expected the quick return of Christ to, to learning how to be the church in a world that is broken, in a world that is confused, in a world that is crazy. Today is the anniversary of the great fire of Rome, July 18th, 
in the year 64 AD, Rome burned to the ground. Nero was a Roman emperor. He was a deranged, paranoid, egotistical, narcissist ruler. He had his mother killed. He murdered his wife when she was pregnant. And it is believed by some that maybe he had his soldiers start this fire in Rome. Some have challenged that. We don't know for sure. But we don't know two things about Nero regarding this fire. One is that he used the fire to advance his political agenda. No surprise there. And two, that he blamed and persecuted the Christians for that fire. The fire spread quickly. It burned for about three days, maybe even longer. Three of the 14 districts in the city of Rome were completely burned to the ground. Seven of them were partially burned. There was one district across the river where most of the Christ followers lived. It's probably the, the place where Priscilla and Aquila's house was because the church gathered in their house. That district wasn't affected. And so Nero took opportunity of that to say it must have been the Christians and not only did he blame the Christians, but he had them all arrested. Every single follower of Jesus in the city of Rome was arrested. And then he divided them into two groups. One group he sent to the Circus Maximus with animal skins on them, sprinkled with blood, and threw them into the arena in front of starving dogs for the crowd to be entertained by what happened. You could just imagine. And the other half he took and he had them brushed with pitch, a flammable substance, and left them hang, dangling from trees. And then he got on his chariot with a torch in his hand. And as he passed by them, he lit them on fire. That was a sad day in AD 64 when Nero, at least for a season, was able to blot out the church in the city of Rome. You can imagine the pain and the agony that these Christians suffered. And you can imagine the anxiety that Christians around the Roman Empire felt because they didn't know what this crazy Nero would do next. When would it come to their city? When would they get persecuted? The year 64 was a, a horrible year for Christians in Rome. And that following year would be marked in the memory of Christians in another city, in the city of, of Jerusalem, like, like a boiling pot that was just about to explode. There were tensions between an oppressive Roman government and the Jews who, who wanted to be delivered from that oppression. And, and war was imminent. Everybody knew it. It was in the air. We know, because we can look back at history, that in the year 70, the Roman army went into Jerusalem and completely destroyed it, including the temple. But five years earlier, the year 65 AD, Many of the Jews, including Jewish Christians, decided to leave Rome and Judea. So there was this mass exodus that was leaving because they knew that war was imminent. They were leaving their home and what they held dear to their heart. 
as Jewish Christians are coming to the Gentile churches, as, as false teaching is spreading, as persecution is imminent, it is in that context that Paul writes this letter to Titus. In a context of persecution, of hardship, of uncertainty. And it says, Titus, you need to act decisively. There's no time to waste. You need to get the churches in Crete in order, get some elders in place, and get some things in order because hard times are coming. It's boot camp time. It's time to get ready for something big. If there's anything I think that this past year or two have taught us is that the only constant is change. And that we can't take anything for granted. That the things we thought we could take for granted are, are not insured to us. That the world is, is crazy and changing. This week it might have been Haiti and Cuba and South Africa. And next week it'll be something else. It, it's turmoil within our country and around the world. And it is in this context that we are called to urgency, that we are called to intensive preparation for whatever is in store. Secondly, I want to say that our objective provides clarity. It was July of 1961. The Green Bay Packers had been uh, to the Super Bowl earlier that year in January, and they had held the lead in this championship game until the fourth quarter whenever they lost and they were devastated. They, they spent the whole off season thinking about what, what they did wrong, what, what they could have done differently and, and how they could take their game to the next level. So in July, it was the first day of summer training and their coach walked in. His name was Vince Lombardi. And as they were expecting him to, to get them ready for the next level so they could get to a championship, he walks in with a pigskin in his hand and he says, gentlemen, this is a football. He's talking to professional football players, players with experience that have gone to a Super Bowl and, and he tells them something as basic as, this is a football. He wasn't about to take them to the next level. He was going back to the basics. And, and that's what he spent that season doing, going back to the basics. And, and when the next Super Bowl rolled around in January and the Green Bay Packers faced the New York Giants, they, they defeated them by 37 to zero. Focus on the basics worked. The first few verses of, of Paul's letter to Titus is a salutation and and. And I think it takes us back to the basics. A, a salutation is a customary greeting in ancient letters. Before there were text messages and emails that stamp your name and, and time, you, you had to identify yourself and, and who you were writing to. And so Paul introduces himself here as a servant of God. The, the Greek word is doulos, which could be also translated a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. There were those who, who challenged Paul's authority. There were those who were going around uh, working against him, troublemakers who, who not only challenged Paul's authority, but challenged his gospel. And, and Paul is saying, look, I didn't apply for the job. God found me. Amen. He called me. 
and he sent me. I'm his servant. I'm his apostle. Why did God choose him? And for what purpose? And he tells us here in the very first verse, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Even in the salutation, Paul is already saying to Titus, this is a football. Well, actually he's saying, this is the gospel. This is, this is the basic thing that we need to be reminded of. Paul, his call and objective were to lead people of faith and then to make sure that people grew in that faith. That's the basics. Lead people of faith in Christ and then help them to grow in that faith. The elect, God's elect, were those people that had responded in faith. Paul had a clear sense of that objective. He knew that he was called and sent by Jesus Christ. And he knew that the gospel that he preached would, would bring about faith in the lives of people. And, and, and so he presents a three-dimensional kind of faith here. The faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Gospel faith, saving faith has these three dimensions. It's one faith, but it has three dimensions. I would call them connection, content, and character. Let me just briefly mention them. Connection. Connection because the gospel's objective is to lead people to Christ. And it is the faith that accomplishes a personal connection, a personal relationship. The good news of the gospel brings us into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's more than head knowledge. It's more than assent to a creed. It's more than going to church. It's more than a religion. It's a personal relationship. It's a connection with the very God of the universe through Jesus Christ. And he connects us with his people. This is the kind of faith that Paul was proclaiming and expecting. Secondly, it's a content type of faith. He says, their knowledge of the truth. Faith is a personal experience with Christ. If you haven't had a personal experience with Christ, if you haven't been transformed by the power of Christ, if you haven't been born again, then you're not a true Christian. Faith is an experience with Christ, but it's more than an experience. It's not just an emotional experience. It has truth. It is based on the truth. I, I love that song that we sang. Jesus is the way. He's the way to connect to God. And he's the truth, he's the content of the gospel. The truth of the gospel. Paul seemed to have an urgency for people to come to know Christ because if they didn't, they would die without Christ. They, they would be lost eternally without Christ. That's the danger. So there's this urgency, let's share the faith so that people come to Christ. But there's also an urgency to teach them the truth. Not only is it important that they enter the kingdom, not only is it important that they have a connection with Jesus Christ, but it's important that they know the truth, that they know the gospel, that they know doctrine. Some people argue when we make disciples here at Calvary, what's more important? Is it more important to evangelize, to, to, to share the gospel with people, or is it more important to teach disciples so that they become strong and knowledgeable in the truth? And I would ask people that, that ask that question, I would ask when you get on an airplane, I got on a few airplanes this last couple of weeks. When you get on an airplane, do you ask the pilot, which wing are you gonna use today? The left or the right? Nobody would ask that. Both of us expect both wings to be on the plane. 
And so when, when we talk about the gospel, the gospel that, that Paul is talking about here, when we make disciples, we must tell them about Jesus Christ and we must teach them the content of that truth. It, it's, it's not flying with one wing or the other, it's flying with both wings. It's not either or, it's both. And disciple making includes sharing the gospel of salvation and then teaching the content of that gospel and the practice of that gospel. Then the third C of this gospel faith is character. It's a character that's produced by faith. Paul says that it leads to godliness. The ultimate product of our faith is godly character. It's not just about information, it's about transformation. What you really believe is shown by how you live. The fruit of true faith is godly living. And, and Paul's going to get into that. Those are the basics. Gospel faith in the three dimensions of connection, of content and character. Paul understood his objective. And it provided him and Titus with clarity. And as we move ahead in uncertain times today, church, as we move ahead in times of confusion and chaos around us, we need clarity. We need to focus on the gospel. You know what our enemy's tactics, one of our enemy's tactics is, is to distract us. And usually the enemy will distract us with good things. There are a lot of Christians doing good things, but they are distracted from the main thing. And that is to to be focused on the gospel that will lead people to faith, that will grow in faith, that will lead people to live godly lives. That's, that's the main thing. We, we, we live in times where there's all kinds of information out there. A lot of it is half-truths. A lot of it is mixed. There's conspiracy theories and, 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 and there's a, a falsehood out there. There's ideologies and, and people sometimes are getting confused and sometimes they're confusing them with the gospel. There's a lot of gospels out there. The gospel of, of prosperity and, and there's the gospel of, of socialism and there's the gospel of immorality and the, there's the gospel of Christian nationalism and, and there are all kinds of gospels that are not the gospel of the scriptures and the church needs to have clarity. We need to go back to the basics and understand what the gospel is. It is boot camp time. It is time to have clarity. And thirdly, our Savior shapes our identity. As, as the young man that I told you about at the beginning accomplished his educational goals, he remembered his roots constantly. When sports teams play, if they're going to win, they need to remember who they play for. When, when, when a military person goes to boot camp, it, they, they get their identity clear. When they leave boot camp, they know who they are and whose they are. Those who face difficult missions must not only have clarity of the mission, but they must have confidence in their identity. When you face uncertainty and opposition, you need to know where you came from. You need to know who you are. You need to know whose you are so that you can know where you're going. Paul knew who he was. More importantly, he knew whose he was. As he writes to Titus, 
He calls him a true son in a common faith. He shares an identity with Titus. And notice where he grounds his identity in verse 3. In the latter part of verse 3, he says, entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. Paul says, I have a God who found me, who called me, who saved me, and now has commanded me. That's who I am. That's what I'm about. That's who we are and whose we are. We are a people loved by God, redeemed by Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, called to be on mission with him. That's who we are. That's our identity. There are many things that we do, your profession, your studies, your hobbies. All those things are great. They're part of who you are, but they're not really who you are. They're temporary things, temporary seasons in your life. The one identity that lasts forever is the one that connects you to the Savior, Jesus Christ. The one identity that shapes your future is your connection to Jesus Christ. And Paul reinforces that in his salutation to Titus. He says, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. Paul and Titus could be confident recipients of the grace and peace, regardless of what was going on in the world, regardless of what Nero did in Rome, regardless of what the Roman army was doing in Jerusalem, regardless of, of the false teachers that were going around house churches teaching false doctrine, regardless of those who were challenging Paul's authority, they could be recipients of grace and peace because God was their father and Jesus was their savior. Regardless of what goes on in our world, we can count on the same thing. We were so delighted last week to be in Lubbock with our daughter and son-in-law and our grandson, Daniel. He turned one year old and we did a big party for him at the park. And then on Sunday, we had his baby dedication. And it was a really sweet time uh, to be there and to see him be dedicated, and we were there as grandparents, not as, not as a pastor, but just as Pops and Gigi uh, with baby Daniel. And, uh, and one of the things that, that you think about in those moments when, when there's a one-year-old being dedicated, and, and we've been around for a little longer than that, that we don't really know much about Daniel's future. Daniel doesn't know much about his future. I don't think he cares about his future. But as we dedicated him to the Lord, we, we're, we're dedicating him because God knows his future. God holds his future. We're dedicating him because we believe that, that there are blessings for him, that there's a purpose for his life, that there are good things. But at the same time, we're also aware that Daniel will face difficulties, that life is not easy, that he will grow up in a world of change, you know, my wife and I spent some time in Seattle too the week before last and sometimes we saw some things that we just looked at each other and we said, we're not in Kansas anymore. You know, it's different. Seattle is different. I'm just going to say that. And the world my grandson is going to grow up in is going to be more different than my world. 
if Jesus doesn't come back first. But his dedication last Sunday was a public statement that Daniel has parents who love him and who love Jesus and are dedicated to him. And that Daniel has grandparents who love him and love Jesus. And it was done in a church setting because the congregation is his extended family and they love him and they love Jesus. And so as Daniel grows up, whatever craziness there might be going on around the world, we hope that he will forge his identity in the people of God, in the family of God, and then one day he will come to know Jesus as his savior. And he will know that that's his identity, that regardless of what happens around him, that's what he can count on. And today, church, I want to invite you to remember who we are and remember whose we are. Regardless of what happens around us, regardless of what the future holds for us, our identity is not in our circumstances. Our identity is not in what happens in the economy. Our identity is not what happens in Austin or Washington, D.C. Our identity is what happened at Calvary 2,000 years ago when God became man and became a savior and went to the cross to die for our sins and rose from the dead to give us life and eternal life. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, or famine, or, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In the year 65 AD, the churches in Crete faced uncertainty and adversity. And Paul writes to Timothy with a sense of urgency, get grounded in the faith and get ready for what's coming. In the year 2021, our church faces incredible opportunities. We've been through some crazy things in the past year or so. And as we look ahead, I believe God is up to something. I believe that God is about to do something. I don't know what, and I don't know when, but I know there's some good things coming up. And I also believe that it won't be easy. I believe there's a sense of urgency to share the gospel and to make disciples and that we must get ready. We need to sign up for his boot camp. If not now, then when? And if not you, then who? Let's stand together. I want to invite you today to, to respond to God's word. Maybe the, the, the most basic thing you need to do today is to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord. And, 
And today you need to say, I want that connection. I want that relationship. I want to trust him in that way. You can do that right now as you pray, as we sing. You can just talk to God and say, I I want Jesus to be my Savior and Lord. I want to have that. If you're already a believer, then the question for you is, what's the next step? How do you need to get grounded in Christ today? So that as everything else around you shakes and moves and blows, that you will be grounded in Christ. And most of all, that you will have that urgency and that intensity to be prepared for whatever God has in store. As you sing, respond to God in faith.